You're listening to Sascapes, a podcast featuring the stories of arts, culture, and heritage in Saskatchewan. I'm Kevin Power. Sascapes continues winding its way through Saskatchewan with the next stop in Fort Capel. My guests are Jack Lowe and Doreen Evans, two of the town's more senior residents. In the neighboring town stands the landmark sanatorium, known as the Fort San for which the town is named. It was opened in 1917 during a time when tuberculosis infections were increasing and it was built to house 358 patients. Both Jack and Doreen worked at the facility and I feel very fortunate to have met them. Jack will also share stories of growing up in Fort Capel and trust me, these are stories you won't read about in the history books. From Stiffy the Undertaker to the Mysterious Third Man to Love Trysts Inside the Fort San, this podcast covers it all. Today, we are in Fort Capel. I have to say, when I drove into this town, I couldn't believe how green and beautiful it is. I would... A lot it, of rain to this year, yeah. Yeah, well, but it's it's and like it a little resort good. town, it feels like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. It's, we it's try. Quite, it it's, used to be. It used to be. We'll get to the used to be's. We try. We, um, they destroyed all the historic buildings there. There's only one left. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's the oldest building in, in Saskatchewan except for uh, Stanley Mission. Which is? No, it's part of the old bar, the old saloon from the Valley Hotel on the river. Along the river was Main Street. They sawed that piece off and they moved it up where it is. If you look back, you can see it to this day, that, that square piece where that doctor is. That used to be the the bar, the saloon. So now that you've gotten the ball rolling, we might as well introduce <laughs> our listeners to uh, who you are. Your name is? Jack Lowe. Jack Lowe, and I gather you were actually born here. Yeah. Amazing. I knew a lot of the old old guys. Right. They even lied, Dad even lied for when I went into the pub. You had to be 21 in those days. And I get in there, I was 18. And they knew I wasn't, so I had to sign some papers. And then they'd go after my dad. He said, oh, he's old enough. Yeah, he's 21. What did your well, dad do? He just, he lied for me. Because he knew I wanted to talk. To, there was guys there that were in the real rebellion, still alive. Yeah. There was one guy who was in the Zulu Wars. Another guy was in the... He was in two wars, one in Africa, one somewhere else. And I used to, when it rained, these old characters would come in there. Uh-huh. But I didn't have a tape recorder. By right. the time I did get one, like Father Huguenard's teamster, I used to go and visit him all the time. He was 104, had all his marbles. By the time I got my first old reel, they were all gone. Uh, so I missed them all. Well, that but means- I could have... Well, I was just young, you know, I could have wrote it down, but I didn't. 
Well, that's the great thing about today. You get to tell some of the stories that you can remember. <laughs> yeah. So what was it like growing up in this town? Must have, it must not even resemble the way it was. Well, no, there was only 200 population when I was a kid. Right. Yet you still had to get your dad to write a letter so you could get into the pub. Yeah. So well, there yeah, were some, some things you can't do. He lied for me, yeah. Okay, so there were some things you couldn't get away with even no. back then. Well, the, the old guy, old Mac McCormick, old Irishman, he knew he knew how old I was, but he, he kept quiet, so right. I got away with it. And what did you um, do as a profession growing up here? Me? Mm-hmm. I did everything. You did everything. I worked on drilling rigs. I worked on everything you can imagine except with an electrician. Right. Yeah, I ended up as a, as a plumber, um, Plumber, welder, uh, plumber, welder, and whatever else. You built uh, this town. Yeah, for the, I worked for the government in the last 25 years of my life, 22 years. Right. Now this, okay, this building we're sitting in right now is referred to as the Old Central School. However, yeah. it's now going to be the, the this art This is center. as far as I went. I opened that window one day and I threw out the French book. And then Midsummer Night's Dream, that went behind that. <laughs> <laughs> so when you so say this is a kicked me out for a week, and then I, I came back, and yeah, it was quite the place. So did you go? Did you spend all of your schooling years in this building? No, I went to a little public school at Fort Sam. Uh huh. Up to grade eight, there was forty-two of us in that little school. And where's that school now? Gone. Right. Bulldozed. Right. And so then I think you, I haven't been in there. I don't even want to look. Right. You came to this school after that. Yeah. Yeah. We had a bus. Sandbus used to go every day, pick all the kids up. The ones there was a halfway mark. Right. Uh, there was a halfway mark on the sand road where that group went to this school since they first started. And from there on, we went to that school until after grade eight, and then we were bussed down here. They didn't like us very much. Some of the boys, they, they, they made homebrew underneath one of the steps underneath here. Drinking was a good pastime. Well, we had it in beer balls. And then there was an old bootlegger across the street here. And they were rough people. But one of the guys would sneak over there and buy a, a beer bottle full of home brew for two bits. And we mixed that with our homemade wine, you see. All kinds of crazy stuff. So what was it like going to school here? I didn't like it. They didn't like us here from the sound. Now, when you say you did, oh, they did, oh, I see. No, they didn't like us. Teachers didn't like us either. Is that right? Oh, yeah. Why is that? I don't know. They were kind of rebellious. There was a bunch of boys there. Were, see, they were sons of uh, all Army people that yeah. retired, like all First World War. All of the staff out there in those days were all First World War vets. Right. right. Mm -hmm. Even Stiffy the Undertaker. Stiffy the Undertaker. Stiffy the Undertaker, yeah. And there was Gardner the Gardener. And in town, there was Baker the Baker. No, these were christened names, were they? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what a coincidence that Stiffy yeah. became Stiffy an Stiffy won the Croix de Guerre twice in France. He was a corporal. Is that right? And yeah. does he still have family living here? No, they're all gone. Well, the one girl, Marion, she's in the city someplace. I can't find her. I've been trying to find her. I don't know where she but is. Stiffville is a subdivision in yeah. Fort Sam, and that's where a lot of the people yeah. who died at Fort Sam yeah. went through his... his uh, he wasn't his very big, but he became the undertaker. Yeah. yeah. 
Did you have any um, recollection of, of um, the sanatorium at Fort San? Um, oh, yeah. What stories do you have to tell about oh, that? I was on the lower end because, uh, see, they're all were doctor's sons and superintendent's sons. And I was the one that took all the, the blame for everything, you see. So it made me notorious, really. Right. Notorious. Jeff. The only one that looked after me was Dr. Hamilton. He was a superintendent, and he lived away up on the hill there. And him and, and his son and myself were buddies forever until he got killed in California. But uh, whatever they got after me, he'd step in, leave him alone, you know. Did you work um, on the building? Yeah, but I worked as a fireman there. Well, during the war, I, I, uh, I worked as a, as a fireman there. I was going to write my papers. And the vets started coming back, so they kicked me out. So I went on to maintenance. And then I took off from there, and I went went to Manitoba, and I was 16. I worked in a bridge gang. Wow. Yeah, that's where I got started. almost killed me there. But Now, when you say you worked on maintenance, you mean you worked on maintenance in the sanatorium? Oh, yeah. Yeah, buildings, and there was, there was so much work there all the time, keep those buildings up, you know. Right. Yeah. What was it? What was it like in? My dad was a plumber, sheet uh, plumber and sheet metal man, and uh, he's a guy that used to make all the sinks in those days. Mm-hmm. He made all the swap pails. Like he was a real tradesman, you know. Right. Yeah, everything was made. They made their own stuff. Was it very hard to work in that environment um, with so many well, sick people? No, not really. It was, it was a great place. We moved there from the Sand Road. We moved into the Sand in 1935. Right. And I can never remember that. They were they were grabbing the road, and I was standing out there. And they had a whole bunch of guys on relief. And the guys were hauling gravel in these little wagons with mules and donkeys. And it was amazing. <laughs> I never forgot that. Do you have family living here still? They're all here. They're all here. They hate the city, yeah. Right. And yeah. you do you also hate the city? Yeah, I can't stand it. I ever go there. <laughs> Ever. I hear that a lot from people no, who grow up. I, I, no. I quit driving in there years ago. I wouldn't even know where to go if I went there now. Is that right? So everybody's here. Yeah. So what's the biggest change you've seen in this town? And what do you make of all these stores that have that have? Uh, well, I don't know. That's it's just gone. I don't know. You don't recognize what happened. Uh, it used to be a, just everything here. You know, you could buy anything. All closed up. Oh, so you you're feeling as if the town is. is I still shop here, but that's you know. So part. there were more stores here. Oh, oh, oh. Kinds of them. is that right? Oh, yeah. Oh, I was impressed One, with what I saw. Two are closing down right now. Our three closed down. And three grocery stores. Right. Bakery. I think there were about four or five garages. And, uh, oh, yeah. People moving away because it's too hard to make a living here well, now? I, I guess. I don't know. It just went. Boom. I gather you're a collector of things, specifically guns, I hear. Oh, well, antique firearms, yeah. Right. And how did you um, fall into that? Well, I was at the graveyard with Stiffy. Yes, good old Stiffy. And he was burying somebody there. And I looked behind his tombstone, and there was a little pistol made out of a twenty-two with a round handle with a guy's initials carved into it. So I ended up with it. 
And we were kids, we used to shoot that thing until thousands of rounds out at the back of the sand there. So then I gave it to the museum in the breadth to see if they could figure out whose initial was on there. And I don't know what happened to it. It disappeared, like everything else I gave at that museum down there. So that was the first one? That was the okay. first one. And the next one, I was 14, and I was working north of Regina for farmers. And I had this old tractor. And I was plowing up the ground, and I looked to something there. I got out, and here I found this big spur with big rowels on it. Right. And a little pistol about that big. That was my first real collector's item. Wow. <laughs> Any idea much, of the date of that? Uh, oh, I don't know. I, <laughs> it's probably 100 years old anyway yeah, yeah. at that time. Yeah. That started me going. Right. Then I'd go around to all the old timers and talk to them. Yeah, I got an old gun there. Here, take it home. Right. So I accumulated a lot of stuff. You keep them all on display for people to... No. Uh, mm-hmm. they're, they're cataloging it now. Who's cataloging? <clears throat> My son. Uh-huh. He says, don't you die yet? He says, I'll go crazy here. Right. He's the administrator, you see. Right. And I've, I've armed all my, my son and my grandsons. I give them one of each, the best. There you go. How but many do you have? Antiques. I don't know. A couple of hundred, probably. No kidding. Yeah. You need to open your own museum. No. Well, I used to have this museum full of stuff. Right. I had, the, I had a Hudson Bay collection. Is that right? Yep. Do you still have I had, that? No. I had it at home. American came along. Somehow I met him. He's a, he's a huge collector all over the world. Right. Well, he bought the whole works. Right. And then I was written up everywhere as a real bad guy. Yeah. You're notorious. Yeah. Yeah, I had the Hudson Bay collection. I, had the, I even had some Hudson Bay uh, uh, certificates of trade. No I had kidding. two of those. I think I got $4,000 for those. I think we ended up with about... $27,000 at the no time. No kidding. But then, this guy's pretty good. He starts bugging the government here in Regina and all over. So the government got all excited, and they bought it. They said, I actually sold it to the, to the Gene Autry Museum in the United States. So the government got all worked up about this, and they paid him out 135000 for my collection. Did you have one of the original blankets? No, I still got two of them in my shack. Do you? I mean the old Hudson Bay blanket? Yeah, 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 there's two of them in my shack. There's wow. one other one buried underneath that other old couch broke down. I found it the other day. <laughs> yeah, there's a couple of them. They're there. still hugely in demand. Those blankets are classic. Yeah, well, I have two of them there in 19, 1917 or something or before. I'm not sure. I'll give you the red with a black stripe. Yeah, yeah that's three, the one. I think yeah, I forget, but they are three strokes or whatever they are. Yeah, yeah, they still cost a pretty penny now. Oh yeah, yeah, and they're probably not nearly as good. Good condition. Well, I got them both on the coach. I'll give you a bit of a breather because I'm going to turn the microphone over to well, my I other think, guest. That's I here. think he knows more about. You have the kind blanket. of an interesting connection. To so those first of all, you are Dory Neff. Yeah, Doreen Evans. And were you born in Fort Capel? No, I I only worked here about two years. Right, and then I was, and then I married a man from here. Right. There were a lot a lot of uh, 
love affairs went on at the sale. A lot, oh, now this is, let's yes. just jump right into it then. A lot of love affairs between who? Well, like I came out here with a nurse uh, that was born here, Catherine Media, mm-hmm. and she married a man from the Sam. So the staff? Uh, he, no, he was a patient. Oh, he was a patient. He was a patient for years. Now, what was your position at the Fort Sam? Well, we were we were registered nurses. We were always in charge of a ward. Were you the head of nursing? No, hmm. no. A great friend of mine was Miss uh-huh. Pearson. Right, and so you were were you in charge of an entire ward yourself? Yeah, we were always in charge because there weren't a lot of nurses. Right, there were uh, mostly nurses aides. And how many patients would you have had? Well, we'd have about 32 on the ward. Right. Mm -hmm. Was it hard uh, working Well, it was hard work, but we were young and full of energy. Right. When we we worked in the evenings, we were called the night float, Mm -hmm. and we had to give 75 needles when this uh, streptomycin came out. Right. It saved a lot of lives. Yes. And uh, they used to call them the night float. And I really was the night float one night. There was a a door open on second floor of East Wing, I think it was. And I I was rushing around giving these needles. And I opened this door and I fell out and rolled down the the hill, oh. but there was snow there, so I really was a night float. Oh, you were literally and, flowing down the hill. Yeah, so I entertained them the next morning at breakfast. I didn't have time to stop. I realized I called it the Fort Sand, but it's the sanatorium. Sanatorium, yeah, right. but they always called it Fort Sand. They always called it Fort Sand. Yeah. And did the sanatorium house only tuberculosis patients? Yeah. So... Forgive my ignorance, but tuberculosis at that time was highly contagious. And Oh, well, it wasn't as bad as some of it that came out later. Right. Like, we had to have fairly good technique, but we weren't scared all the time. You weren't. Then there was this BCG vaccine we were all given. Right. So and, there was a vaccine to protect Well, you. yeah, awesome. We read, we were reading a little bit about that last night, and they said it was 80 effective, but they quit giving it because once tuberculosis was conquered, they uh, when you get when you gave a tuberculin to see if people would test for it, right? Your arm would swell way up if you had this vaccine, right? So they had they had trouble deciding who had it, so they quit giving it. Although some people still thought they should be giving it. Did you lose any of the staff to tuberculosis? No, not that I know of. You worked on the children's ward. Oh, you did? I didn't work a lot on the children's ward. You would remember the third capacities and uh, the... the, uh, uh, the pneumo and all that, what they used to do to them before they had that drug you're talking about. 
Oh, yeah, she remembers that. Remember These were the, the other vaccines. The pneumo, they stuck in my rib and they collapsed your young lung with air. Mm -hmm. So they squeezed down and quit working. The first school. He was and they talking. They put him in a body cast sometimes and they couldn't move. Sometimes well, for a year, we're going to be. Well, I worked cast. in Saskatoon with. With just spinal pains. What was it like working with the children? That must have been heartbreaking. No, I didn't. I didn't like it. I didn't exactly like everything they did with the children. I didn't think it was any kind of a life for a child. How do you mean? What did they do? Pardon? What What do you mean? What did they do to the children? You mean the kind of care that they gave them? Well, some of the nurses' aides spanked them, and they weren't supposed to. And right. actually, I ended up writing a letter of complaint to the administrator. <laughs> well, I did this everywhere. Right. <laughs> you remember uh, Charlotte Johnson? Pardon? You remember Charlotte Johnson? Charlotte. She was yeah. a school teacher there. She and the school? Children's Ward. Oh, really? she, te she was a school teacher there forever. That's what I was going to ask you. Did the, did the children get yeah, school? Yeah, they there? taught yeah. them in school, but there weren't enough books for them. Right. It was to... It was they weren't really, wasn't an ideal place for children. Was it an area to be avoided? I mean, did people from this area just say, don't go over there, don't go near there? No, there wasn't that sort of fear. No. I think the, I think the tuberculosis became worse. Uh, the tuberculosis they have now is worse. So how long did you work at the I sanatorium? I was only there about two years. Right, but I I did work there again after I was married. Not much. And then did you? But you stayed in the area after you finished working there. No, I didn't stay. I I went. I did a lot of other things. And did you go back to Saskatoon? Yeah, I went to university and I went overseas. Where did you go overseas? Oh, to a whole lot. I can't remember all the countries. I was on a thoracic scholarship. The matron at the SAM, when I was there, became a great friend, Elizabeth Pearson, and she got me this scholarship. That's marvelous. So um, when did you actually come back to the Fort Capel area to live? When did I come back? Well, was it just before just before you got married? Oh, yeah, I came back. And you got married in 1960. I can't remember everything. But, uh, but she's been here since 19... My sister and her husband lived here. I used to come back because he was the minister in Fort Capel. Right. You'd know him, Jack, I guess. McTavish's. Her... Brother-in-law was Reverend Stuart McTavish in the oh, yeah. 50s. Yeah, yeah. McTavish, yeah. And her sister, Joan. Hey, it's Kevin. I hope you're enjoying the episode so far. Just a quick reminder that the Sascapes podcast is available for free on your favorite podcast app, or you can stream it from your browser. Check out the show notes for the link. On the Sascapes homepage, you'll notice something new under the logo called Sascapes Plus. You can't miss it. There's a big button saying support with a heart icon next to it. I'd love it if you could click on that button and help keep this podcast series going. 
When Sascapes launched in May 2014, it was the first podcast in the province celebrating arts, culture, and heritage. In fact, you'd have been pretty hard-pressed to find any Saskatchewan podcast. So I'd like to think that we paved the way. It's been because of your support that this podcast is now in its ninth year. Okay, that's it. Enjoy the rest of the episode. I should say, I have Doreen's daughter here with me. You can introduce yourself. Oh, I'm Lorna Evans. Lorna Evans. And you have fair, play a fairly significant role in Fort Capel. Oh, well, I don't know whether I'd say that, but, I, but we've... Uh, a lot of us have been working on this old central school project for right. several years. Right. And what's the goal? Well, it's, it is an, uh, one of our big goals was to save it because the, it, it, the town council had voted unanimously to demolish it. So the first goal was to stop that. And then we decided an art center would be a wonderful idea and was really something we need here. So now it is the Quapel Valley Center for the Arts. and It's very exciting what you're doing here, I have to say. Well, yes, we're glad we were able to save this beautiful old building. Jack, what do you have to say about your old school being yeah. well, preserved? I don't know. I thought they were going to bulldoze it, but they didn't. No, but you're glad for that. Oh, I'm glad it's restored. Yeah, must it's feel strange neat. walking in here. It was, yeah. Yeah. Because everything, I, I know when I go to my school, everything seems so much smaller. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, because you've gotten bigger. Um, I was going to say Jim's been really instrumental in this. Yes, I'm going to actually, I'm going to pick Jim's brains uh, together, the two of us. We're going to have one. We're going to have one on one. You've got to help him save Forsyth. Well, tell me, you were a very key player in keeping this place alive. Tell me the story you told me before I turned the recorder on about uh, cornering Jack in the coffee oh, shop. Oh, Jim, yeah. Sorry, Jim, sorry. How do I tell I cornered Jack. Sorry, you co Jim cornered Jack, but... but Everybody's cornered somebody. Doreen, you cornered Jim. Well, I cornered him. He was, go he was waiting at the washroom. Right. And I, I don't know, I didn't know him too well, did I? Well, you knew him. I must have. I must have known. Yes. I got the right person, right. and I said, "You have to help me save the old school." Right. So, what was it about this school that you felt was worth saving? Well, my husband went to school here. Uh -huh. We think anything he touched <laughs> has to be saved. <laughs> saved. <laughs> because he was. Ja Jackal. Jackal. Remember my husband. Your dad went to this school. Yep. No kidding. Yeah. When would your dad have been born? 1903. 1903, mm -hmm. oh yeah. Wow. Did he, t he must have had amazing stories of coming to the school. Well, didn't he? he didn't say much about it. He, dad was kind of a quiet guy. Did he throw his books out the window as no, well? No, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm going to tell you stories about him. Uh, we had our own orchestra at the Sands. Did see. you? Oh, yeah. And had some of these old guys, like O.L. Johnson, he worked in uh, as a Carney guy, and he used to put on these skits, and it was just hilarious, the stuff he used to pull off. And we had another guy, he was a magician, and he could tear pieces of paper up and make them look like whatever, whatever. And we had the darndest characters that come up on those, and, and we had our own concerts. We had uh, 
We had uh, oh dances in that in that hall, a beautiful place, and uh, put on uh, these dances and concerts. And they had their own orchestra. Dad Dad had the orchestra. It was called the Playmates. I even got some recordings of it. It's pretty corny, but you know that's a long time ago, nineteen thirties, early. Uh, you know, it was quite a place. We had our own curling rink, our own hockey rink. Inside? Oh, sure. We had our own teams. We had our own baseball teams. Absolutely. And could the patients go? No. No. Well, sure, they'd come out if they were on exercise. They'd come out to the ball game, sure, and the curling rink. Skating rink, not likely, but uh, all the nurses and that all went to the skating rink. They put the music on at 8 o'clock. Is that what you did, Doreen? Did you go to the skating rink? I can't remember much about it. I remember about the bandstand. Yes. They, uh, often, oh, yeah. they had wonderful yards. That's on Sundays. The yeah, bandstand. They had yeah. wonderful yards and, and wonderful buildings. Right. Jack, did you uh, have a musical background at all? I know. My mother did. Yeah. What did your mother do? did. My sister did. When you say did, Me, what? I couldn't play anything. What did your mom play? She played the piano, yeah. and she played the uh, flute, and accordion. Mm -hmm. Dad played the trumpet, or trumpet, clarinet, sax. Uh, what else? Something else he played too. Mm -hmm. He played a katapa Saturday night for twenty-two years. What's that? Oh, the bandstand. Yeah, katapa. Uh huh. Down the lake there. Right. So we'd be all teenagers waiting for him to come home at about one in the morning. Out came the saxophone, out came the neighbor's kids, or all the houses waiting for him. So we'd have a hoe down there till well, three, four in the morning. It's a wonder he died young. <laughs> yeah, we had a good time, you know. Like, right. Uh, Did they amazing. let you drink there? Hmm? Did they let you drink there? Oh, yeah, we drank. But you know, the teenagers, we had pop, but I used to get a... Well, you had your special letter of exemption. <laughs> well, there was always beer in the fridge, and if I wanted a bottle of beer, I could have one. Right. I was never denied it, and I never bothered with it. Uh -huh. well, the odd time I have a glass of nut brown ale or something on a hot day. Right. Well, you never said you couldn't have it, right. so I never touched it. Right. Well, there you go. You should so. tell a little about your mother, too. Yeah, she worked there as a young girl. She worked there as a, oh, as a, a, as a LPN. She worked there, started there, and she was 17 or 18. She worked there right through till, till Dad died, and she moved on, and she uh, kept going till she was just about 80. No kidding. Yeah, she, she became, uh, well, she looked after senior citizen homes all over. She always lied about her age. Like, she gets a driver's license and hold there. She always, well, I'm just up to, she had a phony driver's license even. I think it was funny. What your family you had a clever way of dealing with age. Yeah. <laughs> what was your dad's first name? Jeffrey. They called him Jeff. Jeff. Yeah. I remember him a little bit, but I knew yeah. your mother. He used to make well. all the kids' toys. Didn't he, had, he, he die for all the toys? He, uh, he manufactured all the uh, things for entertaining when they had the big shots in there with all the special silver where he made all the things for the center, you know, for the flowers. He, he built you, all that. You're going to have to write a book. Hmm? You'll have to write a book. You're going to have to write a book. Uh, Doreen, uh, you were saying, did you? Anderson, who just passed away lately, he bugged me for hours and hours on end. He'd come out there. Lynn. Lynn. And he said, I'm going to write this up. And I said, oh, I don't want to bother with it. So, 
It went on and on. He he really got after me for a couple of years, and he finally gave up. How old was your dad? When he, he died, died at fifty-three. That's yeah, very young. How he died, Joe? And there's nothing I could do for him. He he had a blockage in his in his mm. artery, and I went up to see him, mm. and and I had that's I just had my first ch child, my son. I brought him up. I said, "Here's your grandson." And he started to cry. He said, "I'll never know him." I got a phone call the next morning, and he's gone. Yeah. Today, later, just yeah, yeah, not out, and he's the way he went. Yeah, you know, like nothing to it. But they had nothing in those days, so he just he died. No kidding. Yeah. Doreen, did you have a musical background at all? No, but a lot of my family has. Yes. No, I'm not very. Mu I love music. But I am not very musical. Do you go back to Saskatoon at all? Oh, yeah, I have that relatives there. You do? So you don't mind going to the big city? No. You've seen the university change a lot, I bet. Oh, yeah. Quite she worked at the Saskatoon Sanitarium. I worked at the Saskatoon Sanitarium. Mm -hmm. did, was that, did you, did, were there people, nurses that just sort of worked their way through the sanitariums? There was three of them. There were three. One at Prince Albert. Right. That was mostly natives from the north. Right. And there's the Saskatoon one, and then Fort Van here. How long were you in the Saskatoon one? Three years. Right. And then where did it go? I can't remember. Oh, I think I went over uh, the scholarship. Right. How long were you away on your scholarship? I, about a year, but I stayed a year and a half because uh, I have a lot of relatives over there, too. Oh, right. Um. You don't have to answer this, but you know, you can read a lot of the history of the San, and um, there's a lot of uh, folklore around hauntings there now. Yeah, my daughter, uh, my two daughters uh, did that place. That, that was their thing to do. They still, I still have one that does it. Oh, that was their pro My granddaughter, yeah. I like, that's who I like we read. Who well, we they read. run into some weird stuff. Right. Pretty scary. Right. I, when they taped it all, and they had cameras, uh, the darndest thing that they didn't run into, especially that graveyard at Crownsburg up here. That's the scariest place that they ever were. And, and the other one, a court building in uh, down just on this side of the border. They're invited to go there. There's nothing in there, and they stayed in there overnight, and that was pretty scary. But they had it all on tape, the one at the sand, too, before they wrecked it. It's pretty hairy. And you've it's seen like, you've it, seen the tape. Oh yeah, I what have a copy of one of them. Uh, my granddaughter still has the other copies. I lost my one daughter. It was the main one that that did all this stuff. She passed at fifty. So. What did you see on the tape? Oh, those what do you call it? Floating. All right. I don't. What do you yeah, call them? Those lights that are. Yeah, and, uh, and noise, noise. Yeah. Oh yeah, thumping. And, wow. Uh, yeah. Unreal stuff. Some. There was a, a guy, a maintenance guy, would walk through there and disappear. There was one nurse. What did they call her? They've seen her on, on they've seen her on, on the ward. Of course, she just walked through the walls, gone. Maybe one of your colleagues, Doreen. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> maybe one, maybe the ghost, uh, the nurse ghost, is one of your colleagues when you worked there. Well, there were, a lot of the nurses were really old. Right. They became well, good. Miss Pearson was your boss, wasn't she? Yeah, Miss Pearson. And well, you would have been Mrs. very young. 
Houston, we used to call her Tex. Nobody had, no one went by their christening name here, did they? How did she Tex. get the name Tex? Houston, Tex. Houston she was from her names, we called her Tex. <laughs> did you have, were you always Jack or did you? Yeah, well, my I had three names. Yes. We finally got in arguments who, what are they going to name me? So it started out with Clay Jeffrey. My grandmother was about out of fit. She said, that's American. So then they called me, uh, what was the next one? Gerald something or other. And then on the other side, they didn't like that. So they had an argument over that. So then they changed it to John. This, and then another argument came up, and they finally ended up with Jack from my other uncle. And that's where it stayed. And I had some fun getting my birth certificate. Well, how long were you? Were you in no man's land as far as names go? Until yeah, I guess so. For how old? How old were well, you? It was only about Jack? maybe 10 years ago I went and got my birth certificate. No kidding. What? But when you were christened, what I name was? I was christened in a, in a Lutheran church it, to in what Melville. Name? To what name? That was, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I, don't I, I know, I, I've been in there, and I found an uncle there that was murdered by the government. Uh, I found him. That's a shrine in Melville there, you know. But I didn't go anywhere further with it. I went to the graveyard and I found some, an old graveyard. They got it all marked, my relatives there. And I spent quite a time in there looking up stuff. But I can remember, uh, I was on the farm for some reason. Mum came from Melville originally. And my uncle Danny, he was 18 years old. My grandfather adopted him from another family because they were related. He got appendicitis. So they took him to the doctor and he said, you got any money? No, he didn't have any money. But we got a pig, we're going to butcher him, we'll give you the whole pig, sausages, all you want. Nope, want money. Refused. So they went to the RM. Not RM, he's from that other RM. So they went to the other RM, they said, no, he's not from here, he's from your RM. So that blew up. They wouldn't have a responsible for him. So then he went to Jimmy Gardner, even. My, my, my uncle, see. And he didn't do anything either. And he went, they went everywhere. So they brought Danny home, and I can remember him laying there. And he was in terrible pain, and he said, For God's sake, Bill, you're not going to let me die. He died. The appendix burst. That's it. Goodbye. Doreen, was your husband... Given a name when he was born, or did he also go through a... What his name was? Yeah. No, I think he was given. His... Was it the name he was given, They he kept? Yeah, I He didn't get a nickname? I can't remember him saying nickname. She's from Riverhurst, Saskatchewan. How far mm. is Riverhurst from here? Mm. Oh. How far would it be? Mm. Well, it's right Big Baker. Yeah, it's on oh, Lake Decent Baker. Oh, right. Yeah. So, you, but you've been living in this area for how many oh, years? Oh, it'll be over fifty now. So you've seen it change a lot as well. Oh yeah. And there are stores that are are gone now that used to be here. Well, there seem to be a more. I don't think it's changed for the best. Most sure. people want to, of course, that's the way the world is. People want to make sure. money. Describe the old hotel here that burned down. Yeah. The old hotel? Oh, it was an unusual architecture. I don't know who the architect was. 
It was a serious landmark. The railroad came in. Yeah. There was a fire? Yeah. And it burned down? fire. Yeah. It was. Well, another thing that was the. That seminary. Seminary. They think it was maybe set on fire. Who do you think set it on fire? Well, they didn't know, but people think that they wanted to get rid of it. Maybe for I got to tell you about the third man. This is a great story. My grandfather told me to start with about the third man. He used to stand at the livery stable by the river. If you saw two guys go into the, the saloon, he'd run in behind because it was three drinks for a quarter. And he always seemed to scrounge that third drink. So they named him the third man. And he did that for years. And then when the hotel, they built the hotel, they kept it going. He'd be the first one in there. We used to watch him from the shop. I said, there, there goes Frank. I said, it must be 11. Yeah, right on. Right at the door, he stood there first. He got in, he got an extra glass of beer. And that went on for that owner, the next owner, and the next owner. He always got that extra beer. They called him the third man, and that went on right into the 60s. And finally, one day, he, frank, he, he passed. But he came here as a lath man at Lath and Plaster. Well, he helped build the Hudson Bay building here. He was the plaster, and he stayed here. He was some colorful character, I'll tell you. But Did he have a name? Frank Parkins. Frank Parkins. Yeah. And his son, he used to close the pub. He used to sing that time, gentlemen, please. And when he passed, he didn't like banks. He always wore those overalls, and they found all his money was inside of his... <laughs> yeah, Frank. <laughs> oh, we just adored with laughter. Yeah, what a character he was, too. I guess in those times it was safe to walk around with your money. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, nobody ever bothered you. Right. Wow, the third man. Oh, yeah, then we had uh, that one, uh, he was the Duke of Boar, I think. Uh, he pulled off a robbery here. He robbed Dylan's hardware. And uh, he had a big hook nose, Bill was telling me. Old Bill, he, he worked there at that time for Dylan. And they had a stolen car, and they escaped. There's a whole bunch of them, four of them, I think. And they got to Foam Lake, and the Mounties tried to stop him there. And he shot the Mountie and killed him. And the chase was on. <laughs> they finally ran him down. They killed the whole works of them. <laughs> and I ended up, it, the old car that, that, that he'd had was stolen, but it was a wreck. It ended up in town here. Across the track was old, the old uh, guy, what the heck was his name? He used to be, uh, he's, from, he's a Welshman. So McDougal's were there, and they said, let's rip that car apart. So they tore this old car apart. They opened the, the, the upholstery, ripped it off, and there's this old pistol rusted in there. I got it at home. I still have it. Mm -hmm. So that was a good find from Bill, what, what do they call him? Bill something or other? Mill Miller. Yeah, his name was Mueller, I think, but they called him Bill Miller. He was a robber and a murderer. <laughs> and I have the pistol. I'm sure it was his, I guess. You I must have him. everybody's pistol who's passed. <laughs> well, I've got the, I got the pistol of the first 
the first uh, town police, 1883. I have his pistol. And they're all English in those days, and all they had were these silly little 32s. Americans had the old 45s. You didn't uh -huh. have anything like that. Right. And the next town cop, he was a character. He was in the, I think he was in the Boer War, and he was in the First World War, and he was a miserable, tough old guy. I've got his. And we had this half-breed here. He's a big, tall man, about six, six, seven. He always wore a Mountie hat. And he was the town police. He didn't have a gun, but Jack Hall was one of the counselors, and he had one, so he gave him that one. So he used to wear that. Nobody ever was fired to damn things. So I ended up with that, too. So I got that one. Mm -hmm. And one other one. The last cop, that I'm not talking about guys that come here and there. Guys that are here for years as town police I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. So I've got one, two, three, four of them, I think. So I'm going, to, I'm going to take them and put them in the museum here. It's part of our history. Right. So that's, I'm going to frame them, mm -hmm. and I'm going to give them to the museum. What else am I going to do with them? I don't want part of our history destroyed, you know. You really should write a book. <laughs> I think oh, yeah. Because these stories will disappear. Yeah. How old are your children? Are, your children I have one, one boy, he's 56. Are you filling his brain with all of these stories? No, he doesn't he... seem to be interested in too much of it. Right. That must be hard. Yeah, well, they're, see, this generation they don't read anything either. You know? Right. That's one of the reasons I mean, why I'm doing this, because they listen. Yeah. And, the, and they're going to have access to... to to these recordings, but I think things have changed now. You probably feel glad no, about the direction. they're a little better, yeah. yeah. Like some of the techniques of the sound were terrible in those right. days. Of right. course, I think they were everywhere. But do you think that was because that's all they knew at the time, or no? no. Because well, yeah, some of it was that. But you, you're speaking about the disciplining and things like that of the children. Well, I didn't like the well. I didn't like right. disciplining children. Were the adults treated fairly? The adult patients. Well, it was pretty good. Right. Um, especially if you're in charge of a ward, you you you, you had to say so. But there were procedures that sometimes seemed a bit barbaric. Well, um, it was mostly the ones with for the urinary procedures, right? like for catheters and things. Right. Techniques weren't good. Weren't good. And I didn't like Names that. Names like the cleanliness. We, the, right. I should mention, the, we used to have a lot of fun. Like I used to play tricks on the patients all oh. the time. And then you do think back about the fun times. What kind of tricks? Well, we used to put things in their beds and brushes and silly things. Oh, so when they and climb every, in? every new nurse, they sent them to ask somebody for a paper stretcher. There was some other thing. I can't remember the other thing. Like, they played it on me, too. <laughs> did they? Sh did you short-sheet their beds and things like that? Oh, yeah, sometimes. Right, right. Just to, just to keep and, the attitude, the, the, the mood and lively? And I always remember one old... One old guy I saw years later, and he was blind, and he grabbed my high hat. <laughs> Makes me cry now. He says, my old nurse. Oh, he remembered <laughs> you. 
was good. Did you feel a sense of pride that somehow you oh well I was you really, had to play a part in keeping him alive? Well, you know, well we felt we did. I guess I never thought much of that. Are there patients that were there that are still alive? Oh, I think nearly today? most of that's a, I, can't think of I don't like it, but most of them are dead. Yeah, well, you would have been very young at the time you were there. Yeah, I was just in my 20s. Right, right. Yeah. I have colleagues in Regina who were there who are still alive. Is that right? Yeah. Um, but they're, they're not Few well. Few right. No. Right. Auto, but auto. they survived that period. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes with one lung. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and there were some procedures the at the Remember Jack Madia was on that, uh, they had that bus that went around Saskatchewan. Right. And uh, what did it do? There were some procedures they did that they found out years later weren't right. What did the bus that went around do? Well, it went around and it tested people, gave people tuberculosis. Right. And uh, if their hands swelled up, their arms swelled up, they'd give them a chest x-ray to see if they had tuberculosis. Right, so a traveling clinic. Yeah. Right. It must have been, I, I've asked you this before, but again, it strikes me that it must have been very... They went to every time. You must have been concerned about, were there no concerns about, I know that you were inoculated, but were there no concerns about the staff? Well, I can't um, remember worrying a lot about that. Wow. Well, you remember, I guess you remember, you remember they used to go to every every town and they did everybody. Yeah. Well, I worked on that when I was about 14, yeah. too. Did you work on Yeah, that? with, with uh, two doctors. Uh, I, uh, two doctors that, that I remember. Well, the only one I can remember uh, is Jack. I remember which one. And you there. traveled all over? Yeah, I went with them for, yeah. I don't know, two or three trips and then I, then I quit. So. Right. I, well, I was just a kid then. You stay at country hotels? Pardon? Did you stay at country hotels? I suppose? Yes. Yeah. yeah. But because they did this as a public health program, yeah. which they did in Saskatchewan, and then a lot of people say Medicare really was built and they on this. Up a lot of people that had municipal them. salary doctors, yeah. which was the first place. X-ray them all. They mm -hmm. were the ones who dropped the TB level in North America the fastest because of the SANS and the outreach, right. the public health outreach. And they pulled the sanitarium epidemic down way faster than other parts of Canada or other parts of the States. Seymour, you'll find out about him, but oh, Dr. Yeah, Seymour yeah. was sort of the, the medical visionary who got the SAN going in the first place. And he was also involved in that, in that um, vaccination, I think. Yeah. Doctor Ferguson's world famous. My grandfather said he murdered his wife. Doctor Seymour. Yeah, we yeah. have a lot of stories oh, about. <laughs> I should say at this point that the mayor of Fort the mayor of Fort Sand is with yeah. us as well, Jim Harding. We're going to be talking later, but that's who the fourth. But all I'm saying is they're both talking about all these things happening, which were part of a very big picture here right. of the Saskatchewan government setting up a provincial program for preventing TB and that's why there was no hysteria right because everyone was involved in dealing with it as right. a public health issue it wasn't like AIDS you see it compare right. way AIDS was not dealt with as right. a public health especially in the states Bob Connell invented the, the modern x-ray mm -hmm. at Fort Sam 
But yeah. was Saskatchewan a model? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. Modern and, X-ray. And uh, Dr. Ferguson was famous all over the world. Right. He we, went, a lot of the doctors who trained here or were instrumental in getting going, went to the first World Health meetings of the League of Nations, yeah. which then led to the UN WHO. So you had a, a connection there between these fairly pioneer doctors were sure. here. Like Seymour was a pioneer doctor who came before it was Saskatchewan. Mm-hmm. And he set up an integrated clinic back just after the real rebellion, which was open to both Métis and First Nations and settlers. And that's it's a story that still hasn't Dr. been. Symes was, a, was, a, Symes was one an of amazing the men. Yeah. He did everything. If you if somebody got sick or something, and uh, they used to put them in the Indian hospital and weren't allowed, mm-hmm. but he would sneak him in there, and when they were going to have an inspection, he'd put him in the closet so they wouldn't see who he was. <laughs> That's what Doctor Symes used to do. And and remember, All Nations Hospital is a legacy to this right informal cross-cultural medical services right. in this community. Still. So we now have an actual hospital that's a cross-cultural or a bicultural healthcare facility. Right. That's a whole book right there. Right. Yeah, that, yeah. Bob Connell, he built the first the first X-ray machine and he could just bang, bang, one after another mm-hmm. like that. And he went from here, he worked for Picker X-ray. He was a big wheel and picker x-ray, and I went to see him before he died. He lived up in British, what do you call it, uh, in Vancouver, up in the mountains there. And he was telling me all about what he went through to build that thing. Mm-hmm. First, modern x-ray. Mm-hmm. Saskatchewan has been a leader in... Well, Tommy Douglas's ghost is over right over there on that chair. <laughs> Oops, he's gone. Ah, that'll be one of the local <laughs> jokes. <laughs> Don't say anything about Tommy. He was all our heroes when we were young, but I'll tell you. Had you met him? He took, sure. Yes. He took us out of slavery. Right. We can tell you the stories of what they used to do at the sound, too. I worked 3 to 11 for a whole year. So Tommy came along. Yep. Three to eleven, eleven to seven, change it all. Mm-hmm. Two weeks on, two weeks on this shift. Mm-hmm. You were stuck at three to eleven. Can you imagine that? You couldn't go anywhere. You had to go to work at three. By the time you got off work at eleven o'clock at night, your buddies are all gone. Where the hell are they? Well, they got for a whole year. Well, Tommy Douglas fixed that. Mm-hmm. You have great respect for him. Oh yeah, yeah. Still I have. I still have. <laughs> Yeah. No, he was a good character. We could, of course, talk till the next morning about all of this. Um, but I want to thank you both for oh, for fun. telling me a little bit about your stories mm-hmm. and and um, mm-hmm. I, 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 I one more to tell you about yes. Fort Compel. Yes. <laughs> I doubt there's one more, but I'll give you one more. Okay. Uh, my grandfather came here, and he. And he met uh, a character here, uh, what was his name? Anyway, they started building coffins and boats. And this character, uh, he's the one that built the scaffold and the coffin for Louis Riel. 
And my grandfather and him were in business making coffins and boats. That was an amazing story. Amazing. Yeah. And then he got into the, he had the first sawing outfit, wood sawing outfit in, the, in the, well, in the Northwest Territories. He had a, a tractor and a, and a butt saw. So he'd contract out wood, you see. Nobody had any money sometimes. He took things in trade and whatever, whatever. Mm-hmm. I've got a whole bunch of his stuff at home. You know, shares in the bank, Imperial Bank. and Jack, I know that you're concerned about your stories being lost, but for the last hour and a bit that we've been talking, the stories that you spoke about will not get lost. These recordings, <laughs> in there, these, in these recordings <laughs> okay. will, these recordings well, will uh, stand the test of time. People will remember you. They'll remember yeah, your voice. Well. That's important. That's the whole purpose behind these. Thanks for listening. The Sascapes podcast is created by Kevin Power as part of the Culture Days Animateur program operated by Sass Culture. Funding to the cultural sector is provided through the Saskatchewan Lotteries Trust Fund for Sports, Culture and Recreation. If you want to hear more of these podcasts or to see the great work being done by other Sass Culture animateurs, please visit www.iheartculture.ca. Special thanks to Paved Arts in Saskatoon for their technical support. Music for Sascapes is provided by Saskatchewan-born singer-songwriter Jeffrey Straker. There is no end to the stories to be told. So, until next time...